Welcome to Work Disrupted, an Ontario Society of Occupational Therapists podcast. You're in the right place if you're someone that's interested in challenging what you thought you knew about workplace mental health. The COVID-19 pandemic has shown us on a societal level how disruption to any aspect of our life, including work, can impact our mental health. Our career or profession is so ingrained in our identity that disruptions can truly impact our mental health and well-being. This is causing organizations to strongly consider how to support employee mental health. My name is Chantel and I'm an occupational therapist currently working within a hospital supporting the health and wellness of those that work within my organization. And I'm Priya, an occupational therapist working for an insurance company who supports clients on long-term disability to return to work. In this series, we'll interview occupational therapists working in different roles within the area of workplace mental health. Our guests share the ways in which occupational therapy can assist us in getting back to thriving in the workplace. In this episode, we'll be interviewing our guest, Cheryl, who is an occupational therapist. She'll be sharing with us the story of her career journey, which spans over 30 years working in both public and private sectors. She is currently working as a clinician and therapy leader for a major home health company. Welcome. Hi, Cheryl. Thanks for taking the time to speak with us today. Can you start off by telling us and the listeners a little bit about yourself, including your role and where you work? Hi, Chantal and Priya. Thanks for the opportunity to be on this podcast today. My current uh, role is a therapy leader with a home health company, and I provide support to families and children in the pediatric role. Thanks, Cheryl. We're really looking forward to learning more about your journey. So, you know, you mentioned that you're a therapy leader at a home health company. So would you be able to walk us through kind of what sparked your interest in workplace mental health? You know, tell us a little bit about your story. Thanks, Priya. I call my story a journey. Um, My interest in workplace mental health um, developed over time through a variety of job experiences, life experiences, networking opportunities, and participation in committees um, and educational workshops over uh, the 30 plus years that I've been practicing as an occupational therapist. I would consider myself a generalist, having both breadth and depth in my skill set. And I found that that's positioned me well in my career. But there's been a lot of different job roles that have brought me to where I am today. Interestingly enough, when I first graduated, my first position was in acute mental health in a hospital-based practice. And in that particular experience, um, I was able to learn and work with individuals with anxiety conditions, disorders of depression, personalities disorders, issues with eating. And that kind of opened my world to a little bit about what was involved with mental health. It's what tweaked me in terms of staying in the mental health realm. I had the good fortune within a year after graduating of moving to Yellowknife in the Northwest Territories. It was very interesting. I transitioned into working with pediatrics, working with families and children in remote communities out in the Northwest Territories. But what that added to my learning experience was working with Indigenous populations and some of the issues that they were experiencing with trauma and relocation service delivery models. And it started to pique my interest more in terms of working with individuals who we knew required some mental health support in order to access services and benefit from services. And when I came back to Ontario, 
my job was to work in home care. It was a great experience working in home health. And that is also where I started to gain an interest or it was asked of me, would you be interested in learning about acquired brain injury? Taking the courses that I needed to take to support my families and patients in acquired brain injury really taught me a lot about cognition, memory, anxiety, depression, goal setting, and working within that environment. So it was starting to form the basis of all of the mental health pieces when I was working with my clients. I knew by that time that my communication skills were really starting to hone in. And I was had a level of confidence that I felt that I could venture out into the world of private practice. But what tweaked me and interested me the most about um, working in the auto insurance sector uh, was the whole idea that, you know, we would do home assessments and then people couldn't get back to work. And I was struggling to figure out how I could support these individuals moving that next step forward. So then it became important to me that I begin to understand the whole realm of what's involved with return to work. And as an occupational therapist, how could I support my client who had now recuperated from their initial injuries, um, but was needing now to make the next steps into getting back to work? During the time that I was working in the auto insurance sector, I had the opportunity to develop a relationship with a public school board who was looking for services to support their uh, variety of personnel, teaching staff, educational assistants, caretaking staff uh, with uh, return to work activities. And that part was really interesting for me because that really highlighted um, and brought about the learning that I needed uh, working in multiple unionized environments, again, working with WSIB in those situations. And also for me, that brought in long-term disability, which was something I had not experienced before. It was interesting to learn about the different job profiles, was also uh, a big learning curve for me as to the expectations when uh, working within a unionized environment and how that impacted the return to work plan, um, the individuals who were moving forward through the return to work plan, and the expectations of me as a clinician in terms of reporting and documenting and providing the funder with information that was required to support the goals of return to work. Yeah, it sounds like so you you have your client, but then you also have the funder who you have to present documentation to and reports and talk about status, status of return to work, status of recovery. It sounds like great experience for working with many different stakeholders and learning how to navigate several different environments, like you said, union unionized environments, working with people on disability and job profiles. It also opened my eyes to the very different stakeholders and the expectations of the very different stakeholders on return to work. And for the individuals that were experiencing mental health concerns, it, it, it just raised their anxiety level. And I could see that the challenges that I had returning individuals back to work um, who were trying to negotiate and more navigate um, the systems that they were working within. And it, it 
it was interesting to me and I wanted to do my best to support individuals in those particular environments. However, I was not the clinician providing the support around uh, management of mental health concerns. Those would have been addressed by EAP or a psychologist. At that time, I didn't get an opportunity to work directly with um, the other therapy providers. But I did learn a lot more about the roles of the other therapy providers in this type of environment when I then moved into a disability management coordinator role. So I knew what it looked like to return someone to work um, from the perspective of a therapist, but now I wanted to apply those skills to supporting somebody in their stay at work or return to work when they had experienced a condition. So it could have been physical, cognitive, or mental health related, or a combination of any of those. And the expectations as a disability management coordinator, you know, were a little bit different than me as a therapy provider, because now I was responsible for the entire picture of getting somebody back to work. Can you give us an example of how you would help somebody stay at work? Oftentimes when we were talking about stay at work for an individual that had a high cognitive load, for example, um, a teacher, it, it may be that we need to alter the schedule for that individual. We also needed to do a review of the tasks, prioritizing which tasks were high demand, which tasks were low demand or which task created more anxiety. And from there, working alongside the employer and this, the, the schedules that were set out by the union and the employer, trying to negotiate a, a suitable schedule for a safe and successful return to work. Graduating the high demand tasks versus the low demand tasks. Um, working around every every work environment has a different schedule from lunch breaks to teaching breaks to when you need to be in the classroom and just being aware of all of those dynamics in advance was really important to me so I needed to know that job inside and out Mm -hmm. Um, so whether it was a teacher whether it was an educational assistant whether it was a caretaker I needed to understand all the facets of their job so that when it and the scheduling so when it came time to building or graduating or accommodating a return to work plan in your case you mentioned stay at work um, how could we best do that so that the individual could remain successful and then the next step was how do we move forward with getting back to full return to work, assuming that that was medically feasible? So I really appreciated the intimate knowledge that the employer was able to offer me um, because the more I knew about the job, the better able I was to make recommendations to um, support the person um, successfully moving forward. And, And the more understanding I had from the individual or the objective medical information that was presented to me, the easier it was for me to make a plan that was successful or to work with an employee and an employer on on negotiating goals. Step one, step two, step three. Also knowing that sometimes when you get to step three, you got to go back to step two before you get to step three and step four again, because we had to tweak something. 
Yeah, it sounds like you used a lot of OT skills like task analysis, goal setting, um, and advocacy and really understanding the employee's job so you could help them with the return to work and stay at work. Following my time as a disability management coordinator, I moved on to a position of a therapy leader with the major home health company. And um, as part of that role, I supervise uh, several therapy disciplines. And my primary responsibilities are supervision, hiring, performance management, and dealing with customer complaints. Typically, in that particular role, you know, I'm coaching, I'm managing expectations, I'm dealing with conflicts, I'm working on employee wellness and meeting performance goals. But I noticed that there's a big difference this year compared to my previous years with the pandemic. And it's made me turn my thinking cap on again to say, you know, with everything that I've learned over the 30 years with mental health and wellness, how can I best support our frontline workers to be able to do the job they need to do and be able to maintain some level of, you know, personal well-being and balance between work life and, and home life. So some of my support um, during this time, using the skills that I have over the years, um, have turned to encouraging self-care, building reliance, setting limits on schedules around what is your work capacity? How can we make more efficiencies for you? Making sure you schedule time to do the things you enjoy to reduce your stresses and recharge. We need our human resources to continue to be as well as they can during such a challenging time. And so I see the skills that I've learned over the years and I'm trying to apply them in the circumstances that I am set with today. Earlier, Cheryl, you mentioned that you took some courses. Um, I think it was on acquired brain injury and anxiety and depression. Can you tell our listeners a little bit more about any other additional training or additional courses you took um, in the area of workplace mental health or mental health in general? Around that time, because the brain injury courses that were offered were a good basis, I did find myself reaching out to the uh, local, national, and provincial organizations like OSOT and CAOT because their annual conferences were jam-packed with segments of everything and they had something for every occupational therapist whatever your interest was so it was a great networking opportunity in addition i was able to pull the pieces where i had the gaps um, and what i'd hope to do with that is you know that would provide me with some additional contacts and from there i could do some additional reading or pick up some additional courses because it was giving me a general idea as to where my gaps were and what skills I was going to need at that time. I found that very supportive in terms of my move forward. And I remember particularly, um, you know, taking a cognitive work hardening workshop, you know, at one of the courses. And that really opened some doors because previous to that, I had been focused on physical return to work and ergonomics. And that really started to open the doors around 
cognitive rehabilitation and the important impacts around that. But the common themes, whether it was physical rehabilitation or cognitive rehabilitation, there was a whole mental health component around that in terms of how patients saw themselves being able to move forward uh, because of their anxieties or because they've been out for so long or because of the social contacts or any other work relationships that were holding them back. So I kept coming up with this, there's a mental health component here that's impacting the next steps for um, my patients. And how can I help them through this? I need to get more tools and what am I going to do about that? So what did you do about that? So I started moving into, as a generalist, some lighter areas. Over the course of time, I've taken a PGAP certificate, uh, progressive goal attainment, I've taken several motivational interviewing seminars, and I've also taken some coaching seminars. When you were speaking about taking the cognitive work hardening course and it being about cognitive rehabilitation and how that did differ from a little bit of the physical rehabilitation work that you were doing in ergonomics, that I kind of got a sense of that you were noticing some mental health components in both of of patients that were, um, or clients that were within both of those fields. Can you elaborate a little bit more about where the mental health thread kind of came through with the clients in those different areas? You know, in my earlier days, it was all about the physical part of the return to work and the ergonomics and what barriers could I remove from a physical point of view. And many of my clients would return back to work. But then I had a subset of clients where there was a cognitive component to it. And all throughout that process, so I felt pretty good about the physical return to work. I was feeling more confident about the cognitive piece because that was a new learning skill for me. There were still some barriers that were holding my uh, patients back from getting to where they were previously or where they wanted to be. And I kept thinking, you know, what, what is holding them back? And You know, patients are a wonderful way to educate ourselves. We just have to ask. And hearing people's stories. So we've removed the physical barriers. We've removed the cognitive barriers or we're addressing them and we're accommodating for them. But what's left? And and how are you feeling impacted? And what's the next step that's preventing you from moving back? So it varied depending on, on the patient. For some people, they just had high anxiety. For others, they'd been out of the workplace for an extended period of time and hadn't maintained any contacts. For others, they were on medication for depression or they had issues with um, gastrointestinal situations, which when stress comes up, it, it unfortunately flares them up. And then, you know, there's a lot of uneasiness about people returning into the workplace with situations that they don't know how their employer is going to accept them, they don't know how their colleagues are going to accept them, and how do we move forward with that. So for me, it was a huge awareness moment in speaking with my clients to say, this was the final barrier. And, you know, as I learned that, I then started to think, I can't leave this to the end. I, we need to be talking about mental health issues right from the beginning, from the time that people um, actually start being away from the workplace. And, and what does that impact? And what supports do they need along the way? Um, whether it be supports to kind of get them activated, supports through the recovery period, and then eventually supports to bring them back into work. And what does that look like? 
And Cheryl, in, in hearing you speak about that, it really gives me a picture in my mind of, of the mental health continuum and where you have where you're flourishing and, and with good mental health and then on the other end where there's mental illness and how everyone kind of we slot through it with different times of the day and different times in our lives and different periods and, and how the pandemic has really had an impact on people. But in, in thinking about that in your role as a leader and in supporting your staff and the thought process that you spoke previously about with stay at work and the principles that you were putting into play for your clients at that time when you were working at the return to work, really trying to bring those little components into your work now and probably encouraging those similar kinds of things about self-care and building resilience and taking those time for yourself. So it's very interesting to see how the different things and experiences and skill sets you've learned throughout your career can really um, apply to the different areas and where this all comes together. And it's just fascinating to see and to hear all of this and through your journey. Earlier, you spoke a little bit about some transferable skills that you gained from your previous roles, things like communication skills, things like confidence. Can you tell us a little bit more about some of those other skills that you're that you gained from your 30 years of experience as an OT that you're applying in the mental health space right now? I know that my base skill set as an occupational therapist has always provided me with a certain level of competence um, in working with a variety of populations. As I've moved through my different roles, I have noticed that the common themes of my transferable skills in any of the roles um, that I've worked in were interviewing and communication skills and being able to adjust my communication skills depending on the situation and the person that I was speaking with and what the expectations were around that. I know I've used my task analysis skills and problem-solving skills a lot. I think that's why I love being an OT is because there's always a day where I have to problem-solve around something that I haven't figured out, you know, there's these barriers and how are we going to work around that? The other part I really use a lot and enjoy are the team collaboration skills. And teams are comprised of many different bodies. They can be different therapists that are working with a patient. They can be different funding agencies. Um, They can be all of the important people in the employment sector, from the immediate supervisor to the manager of that level to your peers that you're working with. So that's important. I've learned over the years how to be a better negotiator. That's been very helpful. I've also learned how to advocate, you know, and I I think OTs are well positioned to advocate in terms of support gaps out there and um, how our patients benefit from improvements in service and, and enhancements. The other thing I take away is our ability to do graded activity or exposures and experiences. Um, Many times when we're looking at return to work opportunities or even um, for individuals who have significant anxiety or depression uh, conditions, uh, that graded exposure is is so important to their ability to be successful on a step-by-step scale and build their own confidence to move forward with what's the next step, what can I achieve now, what do I feel like I have the ability to move forward with. 
I think our listeners really appreciate you talking about adapting to the person that you're working with. It's almost like you're using the person environment occupation lens that OTs use as one of your transferable skills in between your roles. We do have one final question for you. Can you leave our listeners with any advice? You know, we have listeners ranging from current occupational therapists to occupational therapy students. So do you have any advice for them um, about anyone who's curious about working in this area? What would you tell them? I think that OTs are, are well positioned to work in this environment, especially with our current pandemic situation being protracted. Um, the awareness of mental health needs has come to the forefront. And, and, and the pandemic has disrupted all aspects of daily living, including work. There's certainly a great occup- opportunity for occupational therapists to contribute um, and bringing their unique skill sets to the table. I think, you know, a day in the life I find is always very interesting and very rewarding and supporting and participating in your national conferences are helpful. It's a great opportunity for networking. It's a great opportunity to stay relevant and current with what's going on out there. And it it piques my interest because then it tells me, oh, I need to learn a little bit more about that. And this is who I need to contact. There's some things I can reach out to. And I think being aware of your, your gaps and knowing that there are lots of opportunities out there for you to fill in those gaps. And, and by filling in those gaps, it means building your OT toolbox through courses, workshops, reading materials, podcasts, participating as a member of a, a OSOT or any other committee, networking with your colleagues, either from university or the current colleagues that you're working with or those that you um, share a common interest with, I think all provide some opportunities in uh, supporting you as you move on a journey to working with individuals who may have mental health concerns and return to work. That's really helpful, Cheryl. Thank you. And it sounds like staying curious and attending conferences and figuring out, you know, what are the gaps in my knowledge? Who are the people working in this field? Who can I reach out to? Um, how can I learn more about this? Uh, that's, it sounds like that's really great advice and will be really valuable to our listeners. Thank you for listening to Work Disrupted, an Ontario Society of Occupational Therapists podcast. Work Disrupted is produced by OSOT's or OSOT's Workplace Mental Health Team with sound editing by Carlos Noblot. Don't forget to subscribe to Work Disrupted and leave a review. Make sure to follow OSOT on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn to stay in the know about all things OT in Ontario. Check out the episode description for these links and any resources we mentioned throughout this interview. Until next time, thank you for listening.